Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Wilbur, and I'm your host. It's Tuesday, August 17th, and we are doing uh, what we affectionately call Nerd Week or Analytics Week. And uh, joining us to break down the AFC and NFC East, uh, someone who was with us, uh, actually, I believe you were on last last year, right? Was yeah. it you two years ago? And Steve was last year, maybe. Sam Monson for PFF. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing great. Hope you're, uh, hope you're doing well. You, you excited for football again? Yeah, finally have like new things to talk about. It's amazing. Okay, it's only been preseason so far, but just the the idea of having actual things happen that mean you can change your analysis from the last like six months of just saying the same thing. Yeah, is, it's fantastic. Right. Well, you know, I was I was uh, I was doing some best ball drafts and noticed that, and, and I had forgotten because we didn't have preseason last year, and I noticed that um, like Jerry Judy because of his performance in the preseason had shot up like 15 <laughs> or 20 spots in ADP people it's because we miss it. People don't know how to react to this, to the preseason stuff. We, we'd forgot. I think we forgot how like these training camp tweets are so, so thirsty. Like the, it's like, you know, uh, Brian Edwards is a combo of Randy Moss and Ter- mm. uh, Terrell Owens and you know, stuff like that. It's, it's kind of amazing to see actually. But I think a big part of it is that like, starvation period of months of nothing so that the slightest like first sign of anything and you immediately want to react you know way 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 in the other direction just because it's it's a new data point it's the only new thing you've seen in months of like the same take on a guy well it, like, justin fields is a good example he was he was you know he played he played well i mean he i you know yeah. he, he ran the football into the end zone untouched where and people were like ah! And then you know, he makes a he makes a throw to Jesse James, like an uncovered Jesse James, right. a defender who fell down. It's like, well, that's it. Matt Nagy has no choice now. Um, you probably should start Justin Fields, but at, I, I digress. Well, uh, as I mentioned, we'll talk about AFC and NFC East. I don't want to get us uh, you know, too veered off in the wrong direction. By the way, of course, Sam, the lead NFL analyst at Pro Football Focus and host of the PFF nfl podcast which you should listen to at pff underscore sam on twitter and i would assume that you have some sort of uh pff promotional thing that you can promote or or tell people where to go to get a subscription if you like professional football and you fancy yourself an intelligent person a pff subscription is a must yeah i think our uh, i think our current sale is done though i think we're back ah. to regular prices but keep an eye on pff.com you'll see all the flash sales that we do and otherwise, you know, just sign up for full price. It's worth it. I promise. Yeah, pay, pay full price. Support, support Sam and uh, Steve. And I think actually uh, Steve is going to be on the show tomorrow. Uh, we'll have much more analytics wow. talk throughout the week. Yeah, that's right. Double dipping into PFF. You guys are fun to you guys. Um, you guys are just fun to talk to. And uh, apparently, a better basketball duo than Brady Quinn and and, and Pete Prisco, right? Well, we never got to prove it, but you know, <laughs> we, we were we were heading in that direction. We we like oh, their chances. You know, you know what? That was right before COVID hit, wasn't it? We were right. talking. We like, literally. We were planning that out, and then COVID struck, and the whole world got knocked sideways. It feels like 42 years ago. Uh, let's talk about the AFC East, because I am 
curious your thoughts on this division as a whole. I am of the opinion, Sam, that the Bills over under, which was 10 and a half, maybe it's up to 11 um, in that range, is way too low. And I think that their price to win the division at minus 150 is way too cheap. Now, Bill Belichick scares me because he always does. I'm not as worried about the Dolphins as a lot of other people are. And the Jets, I I don't think, are going to be a huge challenge to Buffalo to try and repeat as division champs. Am Am I off my rocker in being that confident in Buffalo? I don't think you're crazy, but I do think it's going to be tougher for the Bills this year than it was last year. I mean, the Patriots made sweeping changes. They had the biggest spending spree like in NFL history. And, you know, usually when teams do that, it's not necessarily a good thing. And I think it probably speaks to some, you know, rot that has set in with the Patriots over the past few years. But it's hard to argue that that will make them significantly better this year, Um, particularly when you add in the guys they're getting back. And then the prospect that, hey, Mac Jones actually gives you an alternative, a quarterback, if Cam Newton doesn't play any better than he did last season. So I think the Patriots will be better than they were a year ago. The Dolphins might not be any better, but I doubt they'll be much worse. And they were a pretty good team. And then, you know, overreaction to 15 snaps of preseason. If Zach Wilson is good, the Jets suddenly have a quarterback and they could get a lot better in a hurry. And and the other thing about Buffalo is that, Look, Josh Allen was incredible last year, but can he keep that at that same level? Um, And also the Bills were pretty healthy last year in terms of sort of key pieces going down. So they need to stay that lucky as well. It's not a guarantee, but I could easily see how this is a a much tougher year for them than it was last season. So with Josh Allen, I mean, he kind of broke any sort of statistical modeling that you could do for quarterbacks uh, last season. He went from co- never completed. I don't believe in his entire high school, college or professional career, more than 60% of his passes in a single season to suddenly completing almost 70% of his passes, 37 touchdowns, 10 picks, you know, 4,500 yards. It, it was that is when you look back on that leap that he made, um, was there uh, anything that stood out to you, why he made the leap? Is there is there any evidence that you could see where you're like, oh, we should have seen that coming? Or do you feel like <laughs> shaking your head? I, I mean, I, I guess I'm just sort of wondering if this is just a do we think this is an outlier? Is there any regression coming? Just your general thoughts on Allen's big, big step forward and where he'll go from there. I think Josh Allen might be the root cause of a lot of quarterback swings and misses in the draft in the next few years. Like people trying to find the next Josh Allen. Um, No, like he went from being literally the least accurate quarterback in the NFL, according to like adjusted completion rate to being, I think sixth last year. Um, he, He was the worst graded quarterback in the NFL on the deep ball in 2019 and then went to being one of the best in 2020. Like the size of a leap he took between those two seasons is as big, I think, as any quarterback we've ever seen um, year to year. It must be pretty much unprecedented. It's not something that was obviously coming. He definitely, I think, took a step forward between his rookie year and his second year. He was actually grading pretty well on sort of everything other than the deep ball. And going into last year, we were kind of saying, well, if he just gets average at deep passing, there is a big step to be made, but it wasn't as big as the one that he ended up taking. And I think like a, to expect that to happen to any other quarterback ever is just optimistic. And B, I think it is a real question about whether he can maintain that kind of level. Like he was 
one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He had a PFF grade above 90. He was right up there with the Aaron Rodgers, the Patrick Mahomes of the world, the Tom Brady's. But that's not a, that's rare air. That's a difficult place to to stay for any period of time. And that's his next challenge. It's like, okay, you hit that level. Now make sure you can repeat it. Yeah, uh, he was uh, top four in the NFL in terms of twenty plus plays, and uh, up there as well in the forty plus plays. It, it's it is. Uh, it's almost you wonder, and it's so weird because it was this. It was a COVID off season. There's no preseason. There's you know minimal minimal time to you know actually work with your teammates. And his number one weapon is a guy that they trade for in the off season is Stephon Diggs. And I was shocked at how quickly those two guys develop the chemistry that they did because you could see and it helped Allen a ton out. It helped Allen out a ton because they, they would diagnose and you know, non-verbally communicate whether it was man or zone once they got up there. And then Diggs would work his routes based on that. And like, to, to be able to put that all together and to get on that same page that quickly in, the, in that offseason, I mean, the whole thing is just impossible to see. Yeah, and it, it totally sort of validated everything that Diggs wanted. You know, this was a guy who th- – the Vikings offense was pretty good, but Diggs was getting frustrated because the ceiling was like 140 targets. You know, he was never going to see more than that over a season in that offense. And he knew he was capable of more. And he knew that it would also help the offense. If he got more, he goes to Buffalo, the target uh, number spikes through the roof and he has a career year. Josh Allen has a career year because of it. And just the whole thing was exactly what he'd been talking about for that entire time. And yeah, like it, it gave Josh Allen a target that gets open everywhere. So it was already, I think, an underrated group of wide receivers. Cole Beasley, John Brown, these are guys that are, are impact players and, and good at getting open. And then you bring in Diggs, who gets open everywhere and sort of gives you an extra weapon at each layer of the defense. Yeah, uh, the Patriots had no weapons uh, last year for Cam Newton at all. And so, as you point out, they went out and, and spent on it. By the way, I, as I point out, I'm, I'm big on the Bills over. I will say this, and, and I know people who listen to this podcast are probably sick of me talking about it, but I am legitimately concerned about the – from a betting – from my from my wallet perspective, I am concerned about the vaccination issue with Buffalo and with Minnesota. Like, if these if Josh Allen misses two games, two or four games, I'm probably not getting that over. So I'm – that that that's the one red flag that I've got lingering. Um, it is, yeah, it is legit. I mean, the Vikings l- look at this last week against Denver, right? The Vikings rested everybody of consequence. Their second and third teams were annihilated, like they are terrible. And the Vikings have a greater chance than other teams that their second and third team are going to have to play this season because you know a lot of guys on that team are not vaccinated. And uh, Arif Hassan was sort of reporting the guys that weren't playing and were in masks indicating that they're not vaccinated. Correct. And it was like all their best players. Like it's not just the number, it's who they are. The Vikings best players are the ones that aren't getting vaccinated. So they, and they've already lost their quarterback room for, you know, a, a, a week essentially of practice and that kind of thing. That's a very real concern for betting over unders. Yeah, and again, it has nothing to do with the virus or the vaccine, actual vaccination. Like, if Josh, if Josh Allen isn't vaccinated, in a hypothetical here, and he is in close contact, he will miss time. And that, like that, you know, that's that's the concern that I currently have. And I, so, just a warning for people: if you're betting on overs or you're betting on uh, player props and all of that, the but as we point out, the Patriots, I, I believe Bill Belichick. While not open, like he's been pretty firm about his stance, where he he, he seems to indicate that he 
I think expects everybody to be vaccinated. And I would think part of the reason is that Bill Belichick will take any advantage that he can have over the other people in the NFL. And he probably believes that to be one because they won't miss games. If everybody's vaccinated, they went out and spent a ton of money in free agency. They get Nelson Aguilar. Uh, they get Kendrick Bourne. They get uh, John o. Smith, Hunter Henry. Um, and then of course, Matt Judon on the defensive side. Do you, do you believe this was Bill Belichick building do you think he was finding an economic angle because most people weren't spending, or is this uh, a rage spending spree over Tom Brady <laughs> winning the Super Bowl somewhere else? I think honestly, they just needed to do it. I mean, they were in a hole in terms of talent. Uh, the yeah. talent had eroded from this roster, and it wasn't as good as it used to be. And unlike previous years where that had happened before, like you know, the it's so hard to sort of assemble and maintain an elite talent level roster in the NFL that you almost have to go in cycles. And the Patriots have done that in the past. They've had rosters that weren't that great. But when that happened, they had Tom Brady to you know, maintain a 12-win baseline, and it didn't really matter. And then Tom Brady in the playoffs kicks to another gear, and some of these rosters that weren't that great were still in the Super Bowl or in the AFC Championship game or whatever. Now with no Tom Brady, if you go on a low ebb of roster talent for the Patriots – you're just not getting anywhere. You're, you're not even making the playoffs, let alone threatening for the Super Bowl. So I think they they looked at this and they'd kind of been through the, the cap hell phase and now had the money to spend. It probably helped that nobody else was spending big money and they just let rip. Like they had a bunch of positions that they really needed to make serious inroads into and they threw, threw money at the problem. Yeah, I, I guess the follow-up would be, do you think it'll work? <laughs> Yeah, to an extent. I, like, I don't think it's it's going to be a cure-all. It's not going to turn the Patriots back into the Super Bowl team that we expect them to be if they haven't got a quarterback. Like, if Cam Newton doesn't play any better than last year, all the spending in the world isn't going to propel them back to the Super Bowl. But I do think they'll be better in several obvious areas, and they do have, you know, receiving weaponry to work from, which they haven't for the past couple of years. And that's huge, whether what this sort of offense ends up looking like with the two tight ends being paid big money with a fullback that they still like to use versus pretty much any other team in the NFL. I think that's still up in the air, but it's, it's better than last year, right? Like they actually have players that you think can get open and make some plays. And, and two guys, I think too, I don't want to, it's always weird when you make a Gronk Aaron Hernandez comparison to for, for multiple reasons. <laughs> uh, but like John o. Smith and Hunter Henry, are sort of like a poor man's version of that, where Johnu is the guy where you can utilize him in the backfield. You can have him, you know, you can, uh, he's sort of a Swiss army knife that you can move around. And Henry's really that traditional inline guy who's a great red zone threat. It feels like Belichick. And, you know, when they did, when he did draft Gronk and Hernandez in the draft, I mean, it feels like he's been trying for the last two years. He did this with, uh, uh, you know, uh, the two tight ends at Dalton Keene and Asi uh, 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 uh who they drafted last year. They were trying, they've been trying to figure out how to get that two tight end thing going. And finally, he just said, F it. I'm, sp I'm buying them. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not developing these guys. I don't have time to do that. Brady's winning Super Bowls. I'm buying these guys off the street. Right, which is kind of where they've been for for the last X number of years, just with receivers generally, right? Like they haven't been able to draft these guys. I'm yeah. I'm endlessly fascinated that Nikhil Harry was the guy that like tempted them back into the first round. Um, the only he's been time in, he's ever taken a wide receiver in the first round was in Nikhil Harry. 
Right. When, and he, when, when, by the way, Debo, and I screamed this before the draft, Debo Samuel is like everything you would want in a Patriots wide receiver or a Bill Belichick player. And he took Inkeel Harry over him. It that makes no damn sense. And for a while, like it, they knew that they weren't great at drafting receivers, right? They'd swung and missed on a bunch of them. And then they just went, screw it. We're just going to trade them instead. Like instead of drafting a guy in the first round, take that first round pick, throw it at somebody else and bring in a Brandon Cooks. And that's how yeah. we'll do this. And then for some reason, Nikhil Harry was the guy that made them go, oh, yeah, this is the this is the guy we need to go back in to the draft to get, despite the fact that the guy's college tape showed that he could not separate. Right. Um, and if you can't separate in the Pac-12, you're sure as hell not going to separate in the NFL. Um, sure. So that's been a disaster. But tight end was a similar kind of thing. They, they've they've struggled to draft those guys as well since the Rodgers uh, or since the uh, Gronk Hernandez thing. And so they're taking the same approach. Let's instead of trading, let's throw free agent money at them or make two different guys the the third best uh, paid tight end in the NFL. And it's look, it's not crazy. If you're struggling to draft a certain position, go for a more sure thing if you've got the resources. Yeah. I mean, if you yeah, spend your money. <laughs> As my wife likes to say erroneously. I don't know why she thinks that this is appropriate. And she's like, she's like, you got to spend money to make money. I'm like, that is a business saying. That is not. Yeah. That is not a like. Apply to shopping. Yes, exactly, Sam. <laughs> she's like, I, I can't return this dress. I'm like, what, what do you mean? She's like, well, I bought it. It was like on sale, and I just can't send it back. I was like, well, that's that's no good. She's like, well, you got to spend money to make money. I'm like that's that is not applicable <laughs> in this particular time and time and place. Uh, the Miami Dolphins are. Are the Dolphins? I feel like the Dolphins are sort of starting to become trendy in, in terms of people want them to win. Everyone was this weird swing on Tua where everybody was defending Tua before the draft and then he didn't play very well last year. You know, in and out for Fitzpatrick and everybody bails on Tua. They wanted to trade yeah. for Watson. But now, like, there's this increasing drumbeat where people are intrigued by Tua. Uh, maybe taking a huge step. Is there anything you guys have have looked at um, in terms of the data, in terms of what you expect from from the Dolphins, where you could see a, a leap forward for Tua? Or are you guys are you also out on Tua? It's amazing. It took like five weeks from everybody to go, yeah, yeah. Tua is the the second best quarterback in this draft. Oh, I'm out on Tua. Like that yeah. was that was <laughs> ugly. Oh, I hate, I hated Tua all along. Hated him. And he didn't even play that badly. Like, it's not like he was a complete disaster. He didn't, you know, he wasn't Nathan Peterman out there. He just like relative to Joe Burrow, who looked great, and Justin Herbert, who was setting rookie records, Tua didn't look fantastic. And I think his thing is the biggest issue with Tua was a lack of, you know, big time throws. The, the, the more aggressive, the bigger plays in PFF's grading system, um, the ones that are deeper down the field generally are into tighter windows. Those just weren't there for him last year. The lowest big time throw rate in the entire NFL. Mm. Um, and that's why, like to me, if you read stories this preseason, this offseason about Tua throwing a ton of interceptions in practice, that's good. Like that means they are trying to dial up that aggression. And if they need to get to week one and rein it back in, fine. But like you're not going to get from lowest in the NFL to somewhere in the middle by just asking him to, you know, push it forward a little bit, <laughs> send them all the way in the other direction and then find the middle ground. Um, and I thought we saw a little bit of that in the first, the, the first preseason, he took a couple of aggressive shots. I, I think that's huge. If Tua can be more aggressive in the NFL, and it's not like he was ever hyper aggressive in college, but he was certainly willing to push the ball downfield and throw, uh, you know, throw at those receivers because they were great. If we can just see a bit more of that, I think there's still a good quarterback there in Tua, and he doesn't need to be 
phenomenal, you know, particularly if these receivers uh, are as good as they could be. They've got contested catch guys. They've got guys that can make plays. And then you add in, you know, players like Jalen Waddle to bring the speed and the run after the catch skills. That should be a good receiving group to play with. If Tua can just get a little bit more aggressive and ballsy, then I think they could have a really good offense. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, you said that. I believe early is the first training camp practice. People, Dolphins got beat guys were wigging out because Tua's throwing all these picks. <laughs> but they came out and said that, like, you know, they're like, we're trying to get him to throw the ball deep and into tighter windows. They So I think they're doing what you're saying he wanted to do. The other thing I sort of wonder about Tua is, you know, I mean, this is sort of basic physiology, I suppose. But, you know, when you – you know, when you play football and you're a quarterback, you know, you're you're using your hips to throw. Like your routine, you know, like that, that's a big part. I sort of wonder if his inability like his his uh his hesitancy to go downfield or to, or inability to hit downfield might have had something to do with the fact that his hip injury was, you know, preventing him from like that full rotation. Do you think there's any I mean I, I'm not a doctor nor a scientist, but right. I mean, there could be. I look at it this way, like there's right this year, there's no there's no conceivable way that the hip injury could be an issue this year, but it could have been one last year. You know, it could have been taking a percentage off his play. So maybe it's, it's going to be no different last year to this year, but there's definitely a chance that a year removed from that injury, you get a physically superior to He's also had an entire off season program, you know, to work on strength and conditioning at the NFL level. Again, that can only go in one direction. Like maybe it has no effect whatsoever. And he's exactly the same guy. On the other hand, maybe he is coming in with a, you know, a degree more just physical talent than he had this time 12 months ago. All right. So both the Patriots and the Dolphins are at nine and a half wins on uh, William, excuse me, on Caesars. That's what I'm, what I'm looking at. Uh, Would you, where would you lean in terms of those two teams being above five? Because we can't really, I'm I'm sure you're annoyed by the 17 game. Thing too, but it's like, are they going to be above? Five? Of course, everybody's going to be above 500 or below. You can't be even. Uh, but 10 wins is probably putting you in the playoff mix. It is above the new 500 or whatever it is. Do you think? Uh, do you have either or both of those teams or neither of those teams uh, finishing at 10 wins? You think in this this coming season? Yeah, we we just kind of ran through all the over unders in our podcast, and it, I came away from this con- convinced that you know Vegas actually knows what they're doing. Like, <laughs> all these lines are actually really difficult to yeah. pick an over under on, and the Dolphins and Patriots I think are two, you know, right on the money. Miami I think could be better than last year, but they do have things working against them. You know, they they were absurdly healthy last year in terms of like important players going down missing. That's probably not happening again, and if they get just average. Um, in that regard, it's going to be tougher. They, it also feels like last year was kind of a surprise to them, right? Like they didn't expect to be as good as they were last year. And now that changes expectations, right? Now you're supposed to be better, um, going this year. So you, you need this step forward from Tua. And if it isn't a big one, you're going to be working against a lot of things. That offensive line also doesn't look good and didn't get dramatically better on paper. They're kind of relying on you know, year two and three jumps from those offensive linemen, which happens sometimes, but not always. And if it doesn't, the offensive line will be a problem as well. So Miami, I might lean under just because there's a lot working against them. The Patriots, I could see bouncing back though. Like they're getting players back. They added a a ton of talent. I don't have a huge amount of confidence in Cam Newton taking a step forward, but all of a sudden, like Mac Jones looks like he will be more pro ready than I think people expected him to be. You know, his calling card coming out as a prospect was 
mental processing time and just being able to command the offense, get through your progression, hit the right guy quickly. And that's something the rookies struggle with, right? It takes time to get that for a new offense in the NFL and to make that adjustment. I mean, it's only preseason week one, but they loaded him up with a lot and he did not look overawed or didn't get slowed down by it. His processing speed was still quick, efficient. If he can do that, I mean, he's going to take that job sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I I want, as a longtime Cam truther and Cam fan, I want Cam to bounce back and, and play well. I thought he looked good early in the season before he uh, left and got COVID, but I, I am hesitant to assume that Cam can keep Mac Jones at bay. Just It feels like Belichick, and I, I heard maybe there was like some hesitancy, like Belichick's like, oh, Mac fell to us. I have to draft him now. Um, but I, I think the results that he's gotten so far and what he's seen from Mac Jones, he's, I think he's been very pleased. And um, I, I agree with you. I think he'll be in there at some point. The Jets very quickly are six and a half. I am just going to take, or either it's either six or six and a half. But there's no way I'm taking the over with a rookie quarterback <laughs> starting 16 games. No, no veteran backup there. And while I think that Joe Douglas is doing a good job finding some blue chip talents, that, that roster to me is a, is a ways off. Agree. Um, it is, yeah, and also the the biggest thing we're going against them, I think, is that division. Like, yeah. even if even if the Jets are significantly better this year, conceivably the other three teams in the division are all chasing double digit wins, which just means your wins are getting a lot harder and thinner on the ground to come by. So I could easily see the Jets like being significantly better than last year with Zach Wilson looking the real deal, with them still only winning four or five games. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will rip through the NFC East. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so the NFC East, would the Jets win the NFC East? Would you pick the Jets to win the NFC East if they were in that division? Because the yeah. NFC East is trash. It's pretty trash. Is it? I mean, it was trash last year. But it was trash last year, yes. I think Washington and Dallas could both be pretty good this year. Okay. Uh, I actually like Washington a lot. And I took them when they signed Fitzpatrick. When you come out and say this after, after the fact, it sounds kind of stupid, but when they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, I bet on them to win the division, Um, you know, because who who wouldn't do that? But I do feel like if you look at Washington, we talked about this on our podcast, on the podcast last week, but they were the worst offense in football last year, statistically speaking. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is probably just average, but average is better than the worst, right? Yeah, look, I, Ryan Fitzpatrick gets altogether way too much disrespect for how good a player he actually is. Like, Ryan Fitzpatrick, as you said, is an average NFL quarterback. Since the start of 2017, I think, he's literally 15th in PFF's grading. Like, he's <laughs> slap bang in the middle. 
Now, okay, he gets there via a roller coaster, right? There's right. going to be amazing games. There's going to be terrible games, but it's going to shake out to like league average. And league average, when you have a really good roster, is a pretty good thing to have. Like you don't need, look, Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl playing way below league average play at quarterback, but Denver had way a fast roster below. in the NFL that year. So they were able to drag the like decomposing corpse of Peyton Manning <laughs> all the way to his second championship. Like they had, they had the, the corpse of Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler. Right. And the, the thing the, is, benched Manning for Osweiler, then benched Osweiler for the corpse. And the thing is, there wasn't a difference between the two <laughs> of them. Like Brock Osweiler, who is a disaster as a quarterback, was not discernibly worse than Peyton Manning that year. Um, so if you have a good enough roster, you can win with that. And I think Washington kind of took a look at this, surveyed the, the quarterback market this offseason, and when we have no real shot at like a jump upgrade at a real franchise quarterback at a guy that will be the solution for the next 10 years. But we have a shot at Ryan Fitzpatrick. who's not going to cost anything and can get us to the playoffs and might be able to win games. If we catch, you know, the high ebb of the, the Fitzpatrick coaster, I think that's a really shrewd move. And it's like, we don't have to rely on him long-term, right? We'll do the same thing next year. Maybe next year, Marcus Mariota is available or, you know, Carson Wentz gets kicked to the curb after a disaster in Indy. Like we will be able to go from one viable veteran to another for three or four years until we stumble into a better opportunity somewhere. Like yeah, teams have I, done that in the past. And I don't think it's a dumb way of doing it. I, I would agree with you there. And I also like the idea of, I th- to me, Washington, I don't know if there's a ton of value in this in the division price now they're still plus money really actually over two to one so maybe maybe there still is uh, I, I think i got it like four to one i like the washington over though eight and a half wins yep. i mean ron rivera you know people like to you know there, there's he wasn't really ever riverboat like that was sort of a fluke thing like he wasn't actually using you know analytics to he was just sort of guessing <laughs> when because he was about to get fired in carolina but he has a he just has a high floor as a coach like he's going to get you he's you know they're not going to win four or five games he's going to find a way to winning seven eight nine games with this roster and i think man i look at i look at this offense you had deami brown and curtis samuel to a team with a pretty good offensive line, Fitzpatrick, a more aggressive quarterback. Terry McLaurin could could turn into a top five or ten wide receiver this year uh, if he breaks out. And then the, Logan Thomas somehow, you know, morphing into a, a, a above average tight end after uh, years of playing quarterback at, at Virginia Tech. And of course, this defense very very good. Yeah, I mean, look at their record last year. We were the the NFC East was a joke because it looked like somebody was going to win that division with like five wins for a, a big stretch. But yeah. Washington ends up coming through. They weren't that bad overall, and they had by far the worst quarterback situation in the NFL. Yes, an absolute disaster until Alex Smith came in, and Alex Smith didn't play well. Like he just played better than Dwayne Haskins. He was still a a bad quarterback as a starter. Um, nowhere near what even Alex Smith's baseline is for his career. Incredible comeback story, but, you know, he didn't play that well on the one leg. Uh, so the the jump from that quarterback situation to where they are with Fitzpatrick, I think, is huge. Plus, yeah. they upgraded everywhere else. Plus, Ron Rivera isn't going to be battling cancer for half the year. <laughs> kind of like, a thing. Kind of a big deal. Right. I mean, if your head coach is legitimately, you know, trying to survive, first and foremost, like, okay, I'll devise the game plan when I have a few minutes, but right now I've got to deal with some chemo. Yeah. Yeah. That is probably a pretty significant edge coming back in their direction this year. 
No, I agreed completely. So I take it you are on the over for Washington, uh, and 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 you think this is a ten plus win team, right? Yeah, I, I think this could be a much better team than people are giving them credit for. And by the way, you know they sort of ran into a, the buzzsaw that is Tom Brady in the playoffs too. You know that that team, Washington could have potentially made some noise, and all they had was Taylor Heineke left at quarterback. If they, you know, if they if that same team had Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, and you know didn't luck, uh, you know, deal with the bad luck of drawing Tom Brady as a wild card, maybe they maybe they win a playoff game. Right. Though, by the way, Taylor Heineke had the, I think, the highest PFF single game grade of any quarterback in the playoffs last year. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best grade anybody had. This is a playoffs with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, like these MVP candidates. The best game anybody had was Heineke in that game. What a legend, Taylor Heineke. And he got paid for it, too. Good for him. Uh, All right. So you you mentioned Dallas. You like Dallas. You're high on Dallas this year as well. I, I don't I understand it. My concerns are, well, I guess twofold. One. A defense could still stink this year, and I would expect that they are fantasy gold, and that Dak is throwing the ball all over the place. The other, the other concern I have, Sam, is that Dallas last year, at in the first couple of games where they they got back in, they were close games because they scored a bunch of points late. But that offense didn't look good out of the gate. Are you are you worried at all that Mike McCarthy might just not know what he's doing? I think the offense just has too much talent for it to matter almost. Like they have so many good players. They they have a mismatch at every receiver spot. They have arguably the best sort of trio of wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah. Um, CD Lamb, if he takes the jump that he looks like he's taking this year, he could be their number one receiver immediately, giving them two number ones. Yep. Um, and by the way, the third guy would be Michael Gallup, who's able to like roast Jalen Ramsey one on one on the outside. Like that is a trio that's insane. Dak Prescott, if he gets back anywhere near the level he was playing at before he went down hurt, it's going to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. And then if the defense just gets back to just not being one of the worst in the NFL, like it doesn't even have to be average. Below average would get that team to a level where they're able to like hang with everybody week to week and win most of the time because the offense, I think, could be that special. The offensive line depth, I guess, is a little bit more uh, worrisome than it's been in the past, but you still expect it to be okay. Uh, yeah, I think the, the biggest question mark is the defensive side of the ball, but I think offense will be good. Um, all right, so how is it, how would you, or can you even project a potential defensive breakout for for for, for that side of the roster? Because, I mean, you, you can add, I mean, obviously the addition of Michael Parsons helps and, and Demarcus Lawrence as a player. They, they invested a ton of draft picks into that side. It's just, it's hard for me to look at that defense and say, okay, this is a unit that's going to magically come together and, and be good or, I or mean, average. One of the things that the data sort of shown is the power of just changing scheme. You know, mm. and a lot of times when it, when a defense is horrendous, the scheme is part of it. And last season, there was a lot of talk about how they were just being asked to do too much. It was too complicated. Everybody was sort of spending too much time thinking and not enough time actually doing. Um, and that's changed. And it's not just change, but it's it's going to the other end of the spectrum, right? You've gone from one of the most complicated defenses in the NFL, apparently, to a system that's like prides itself almost on simplicity. It's like Mike Nolan's defense is so complicated that it sucks everywhere. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it just everybody seizes up. Like you can't be expected to deal with that much stuff. Whereas you go to a Dan Quinn type of defense where it's like, we're going to run basically one thing and do it really well. Now, okay. It's more complicated than that. There are more uh, permutations and all those kinds of things, but it is, uh, they are two ends of the spectrum in terms of complexity. And I think shifting from one to the other, given how bad things were at one extreme could have a huge 
transformative effect on these players. And remember, like there's a lot of good players in this defense. Like Leighton Van Der Esch looked like the best linebacker in his class as a rookie. Jalen Smith at one point got handed a monster contract because he was playing so well. Those guys are both almost like afterthoughts at this point and maybe superseded on the depth chart. But there's a lot of players where you say, okay, if we give them a scheme that functions, these guys can be okay. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about, you know, the interior of the defensive line in particular, but I do have confidence that that defense can go from like one of the worst in the league (laughs) to just below average. And if it does that, like that's good enough for Dallas to be a contend, like not a Super Bowl contending team, but definitely a playoff team. Well, and that's a, that's a good point too, is that they don't need this defense to be elite. It's, right. it's not going to happen. It's not going to be a top five, top 10 defense. Uh, I guess it could be a top 10 defense. Really, really unlikely. But to your point, if they're a top 20 defense or even a top 25 defense, they're probably, you know, they're automatically better than whatever they were uh, last year. Oh, I do want to know. I do want to ask because they one of the running gags, I feel like, is the Mike McCarthy. Uh, you know, did he actually come to PFF? Yeah, no, he, he did. In, right. He was in the building for like a whole day, sat down, got you know, discuss all kinds of uh, data, trends, all those kinds of things. Yeah, it was like a full sort of fact-finding mission for him. Okay, dude, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I always, I always just always joke because it's like, it's like, like the beginning of Hard Knocks, he's like, oh uh, yeah, somebody uh, give me that uh, readout on the, uh, on this uh, spectrometer GPS and uh, let me know what, what Dak did. It's like, it's like, all right, all right, Mike, we get it. You went to PFF. <laughs> we, we went to analytics boot camp. Do you think he's actually... Uh, do you think he, he and the Cowboys will actually embrace analytics uh, in a functional way? Because it didn't feel like they were doing it. Uh, like, he didn't feel like he was actually, you know, I, I, he could say he could say whatever he wants. Yeah. But it didn't feel like he was acting on it. You know, um, he wasn't walking the walk in games last year. It didn't feel it's like. interesting. Like, that's, I think, one of the elements of this, right? Is that everybody, one thing, not everybody in the building is going to buy into the same things. And, and to get the sort of real edge that some of the best teams in the NFL have, you need like total buy-in, right? You need everybody to be on the same page and all agreeing on, on the important parts. But the other thing is like, it's one thing to embrace it and to think it's good and for everybody to buy into it. How, how do you implement it, right? How do you actually get it into your day-to-day um, way of doing things and your mechanisms and your systems and just how you're actually doing stuff? It's one thing to buy into it and it's another thing to have set up a process uh, which where you can take advantage of it and then, reap the benefits and again you can see the best teams in the nfl have figured that out and know how to get it into uh integrated into everything they're doing i don't know if if dallas have or haven't like i'm not i'm not close enough to that side of things um but that's potentially you know one area where there would be a disconnect where everybody there buys into the ideas but if they haven't figured out a way of um, stitching it all into everything they do it's not going to have the impact they want it to yeah, like you can talk all day about how you want your house to be clean, but if you don't actually clean your house, then it, you know it, it, it doesn't matter uh, what kind of cleaning supplies you have. So you're, but you are on the over for the Cowboys and their uh, their win total. I would assume based on your your thought process here. Yeah, I think so. I think that offense will be too good to for them not to be reasonable. And then if the defense just takes a step forward, it's kind of like you know when Kansas City first got Mahomes, right? And it's like yeah. that offense is going to be the best offense in the NFL every single year. But year one, the defense was so bad that eventually they were going to come unstuck and they couldn't win at all. And then the defense didn't get good. It just got not terrible. And that immediately propels Kansas City to being a Super Bowl team every year. Yeah. So it's, uh, I always liken the Chiefs in 2019 
I guess 2020 is when they won, but 2020, the Chiefs to the 2006 uh, Colts, where it's this defense that isn't, that has players, but isn't very good, but then suddenly kind of got hot at the same time. That would be the pathway for the Cowboys, where you know you just sort of get lucky and you get create some turnovers down the stretch and, and maybe you pull it off, or maybe the 2009 Saints and, and, and all that bounty gate stuff. The New York Giants, I, I, People, you know, you do the radio hits and be like, all right, well, tell us about the Giants. And I I try to do this cautiously because I'm not <laughs> suggesting that, uh, that that Daniel Jones is going to have this breakout. But I think you you mentioned the deep ball accuracy with Josh Allen. He fixed that. It's a, it's a clear area of concern that he fixes, and he fixes his general accuracy, and suddenly he takes a huge leap forward. Do you think it's possible that Daniel Jones could fix his turnover issue and take a big step forward, or is he just uh, baby James Winston? I'm so torn on Daniel Jones because I didn't like him as a prospect coming into right. the NFL. I think he's fairly comfortably exceeded what I thought he was capable of, and I now think he's underrated. I think people oh. are dumping on him because – twist. Like his box score numbers were terrible, right? Like he had the same number of touchdowns as Dak Prescott managed in like four and a half games <laughs> in the entire season. And people look at that and they're like, well, Daniel Jones sucks. And, okay, but he actually played pretty well. Not, not like hugely well, but he took like a 10-point jump in his PFF grade. He was doing wow. a lot of things that people didn't necessarily think him capable of. The receiving core didn't help him out a ton. I think they've added talent to that team. I think Jones is potentially primed for another step forward, but I don't think we're even going to see it because that offensive line is so bad that it might not matter. Right. And the biggest issue is that the, the biggest flaw Daniel Jones has is sure it's turnovers, but it's also, he's got that like Joe Flacco obliviousness in the pocket thing. Yeah. 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 Doesn't feel what the pocket is doing around him. And And suddenly he's like splayed out the balls flying. Yeah. Right. And then even worse than Joe Flacco, not only does he not sort of feel it happening, but when it happens, the ball comes out. So it's even worse. Um, And that's bad enough, like anytime, but it's even worse when your offensive line is garbage and you're going to see a ton of those plays. And every time you kind of make it worse by lingering in the pocket and not feeling it coming, it's it has potentially catastrophic results. So I think there's a good chance we're going to come out at the end of the season and be like, well, Daniel Jones is a bust. Time to press the reset button. Mm. But it, like, it's not his fault. Like, it's just he doesn't have a shot this year. So is he one of those guys where he because if 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 that's how this plays out and Dave Gettleman, I would presume if they don't if they don't win nine games, Dave Gettleman probably is getting fired. I don't know. The, the, Mar- the, the, the Giants ownership loves Gettleman for some reason. Uh, and if he's fired, a new GM is coming in and probably moving on from Daniel Jones. So you could see him maybe popping up in another spot and playing playing well. Is what uh, you, you? Yeah, I mean, come around on the prospect a little bit, but but don't don't buy the setting helping him out. Yeah, the the chance that the Panthers took on Sam Darnold this yeah. offseason, I would be all on board with taking on Daniel Jones next offseason. Like if it. you don't have a quarterback, if your plan A went to hell this season and you need you need to pull a rabbit out of the hat. I would definitely tell like Washington, Washington right? Washington. Yeah, yeah. Like no, the the idea of you can just go from veteran to veteran for like five straight years until you stumble into something better. If Washington ends up rolling the dice on Daniel Jones next offseason, like that could pay massive dividends if they're still really good. Uh suffice to say, you were uh on the Giants under then, I would I would assume. Yeah. Under seven is seven is low, man. I mean, that in a 17 game season, that is low. They I mean, obviously they, you know, they were in the divisional hunt a little bit last year for whatever that's worth, but you know, I, I don't, 
I want to buy into Daniel Jones, but I'm sort of in the same boat as you. I, I don't, I don't trust Jason Garrett. I don't trust that offensive line. And it, you know, with a team like Washington and, you know, we have to assume Philly will be, I don't, I don't know, actually, maybe Philly might suck. Um, but the, uh, I, I can't get on board with the Giants over as much as I'm trying to trick myself into doing it. Uh, I think, the Eagles. Oh, sorry, go I ahead. Think, I think the Giants defense might be pretty good, but it's yeah. just, that's, that's never mattered less, you know, than today's NFL. Like, if your <laughs> right. defense is good, it's not going to do anything if your, your offense is a disaster. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, the Eagles are sort of full, like kind of flailing in the wind a little bit over under six and a half wins. If, and there are rumors that, that of Deshaun Watson going to Philly, uh, if he was not right. suspended and that happened, this number would clearly change. But as it stands right now, it looks like it's Jalen Hurts and Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins here to save the day. Uh, do, you, do you see anything you like, anything to love or hate about this Philly team in general? Um, I mean, I think there is a good receiving core in there to be created. Um, they just need to figure out how the pieces all go together. But I think the same thing was true this time last year. And their issue was not like a lack of talent. It was just they couldn't they couldn't assemble this group into the right positions and roles and responsibilities. And, and so they didn't have like a functioning receiving core. But I think that could be good. I don't have a ton of faith in Jalen Hurts being anything other than a below average starting quarterback. And I don't think the Eagles do either, to be honest. I think they they basically said, well, we don't love the options available now. We're going to trade for next year and give like turn the keys to Jalen Hurts and if he surprises us great it means we can load up elsewhere and if he doesn't we've got enough ammunition to target the quarterback next year that we do really like so I think they've basically thrown him out there almost as a a kind of sacrificial lamb this season and their strategy overall is focused on next year's draft and what they can build uh, a year from now so but I think there's too much talent like on the roster overall for them to be a disaster I think they'll be a an average below average team. Okay. I it's weird because Howie Roseman has long been a you know key proponent of analytics and talked about you know embracing it. And Philly's one of those, I think, franchises that has been, you know, early on it. And Jeff Jeff Lurie's big on it. But it also feels like his approach to the quarterback position at times over the last I don't know, five years or whatever has maybe been anti-analytical or you know, trading a bunch of picks to go get Carson Wentz, then trading Carson Wentz for more picks and going to Jalen Hurts, you know, using a second rounder on a guy when you have Carson Wentz in the building and think he's the answer. Uh, how, how would you grade his approach there? I think the Eagles generally have made a lot of moves that from a process standpoint have been sound and almost all of them haven't worked out. Like <laughs> they've kind of gotten stupidly unlucky with the way they've approached things. Um, the one like, okay, trading up, like all of the data says that trading up is always a bad idea unless it's for a quarterback, right? right. Like always trade down if you can, but if you're going to trade up, you can still make good if you get a franchise quarterback, a transformative franchise quarterback. And briefly, it looked like Carson Wentz was that guy, right? Yeah. The 2017 MVP caliber season, they win a Super Bowl at the end of it. Okay, he didn't, but um, like the, the process made sense. And then Wentz fell apart. Yeah. Uh, okay. Even then, drafting a guy in the second round that you think is a is a potential quarterback down the line, I think the analytics would say that's a good move, right? You bring in uh, a backup plan, you bring in a contingency, and also if it turns out he's really good, it's a guy you could potentially flip down the line for like a first round pick, and you can upgrade your your draft capital that way. So I don't think we would criticize the Jalen Hurts move, and then. Wentz like completely falls to pieces 
And the problem is you've already given them the big money contract. I think yeah. that's the bad move. But even with that, like the earlier you get that deal done, the cheaper it is, right? So there's a tension between how much time do you need to be sure that quarterback is your guy versus how early do you get it done because that takes dollars off the figure. And they, both them and the Rams effectively went too far to that that side, right? They Crazy they how those, like, those guys were awesome. Jared Goff and Carson Wentz were awesome. Like high-level top 10 NFL quarterbacks, they get paid and then just, pff, like it's right. crazy. So both teams jump on like, get the early deal done, get it as cheap as possible, and then move on. And both guys have, have fallen apart since. But at that point, what can the only thing you can do is trade them, trade, get them rid of them. Um, and then it's it's a case of where's the next quarterback coming from? And it's they obviously just didn't like enough quarterbacks at the top of this draft to take a Justin Fields or a Mac Jones or a Trey Lance. And it's not like they decided, well, we just don't want to have a quarterback then. They've obviously clearly swung all the resources towards next year yeah. where you know they may love the quarterbacks better. And if that's their approach, like let's load up next year, we'll muddle through this year but we'll get the quarterback we want next year. I, I don't hate the process. All right. Fair enough. Uh, it's a, over under six and a half for the Eagles then. Yeah, I think it's in the That's right kind of area. Number. Again, I, I don't think they'll be terrible. I think six, seven wins is about where they, where they should be. And if you're going to pick one, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's go over. All right. Uh, I would lean, if I was picking, if I was forced to bet on this, I wouldn't bet the Eagles number. Uh, I would probably go under, but I think there's pathways for Dallas and New York to be bad and a pathway for Washington to be bad too. Not as, not as wide a one, but if, if, if that happens and the Eagles could steal some wins in the division and all of a sudden you easily get to seven and 10 and that's not a great season, but right. it, it would cast you over. Uh, okay. Awesome stuff, man. Uh, Sam Bonson at PFF underscore Sam, go to PFF.com and uh, check out all the, uh, all the, loads of data that you guys have put up over there. Uh, certainly developed into one of the premier analytical sites uh, in, uh, in professional football. Appreciate the time, dude. Appreciate having me on. Thank you, sir. Yeah, man. Talk to you soon. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.